it's a set of oils that you use in the bath that lets you sort of <laughs> smell like Salesforce. That's, what does that smell like? Like regret. Okay, Paul. Yes, Richard. Um, we pay a bunch of money every month to a bunch of different services that pretty much make the company run. Oh, like all of our money. A lot of our money. I our, want to talk about that 360 review tool that we have. Yeah. So we have a seen. we have a tool to review each other when review time comes around called Lattice. Because we're the co-founders, we never see it. We're not allowed to use it. We have a tool called Pingboard mm -hmm. that handles paid time off. God, there are like three or four interface things with Pingboard that drive me bananas. And it has an org chart, which is a nice little That's bonus. Nice. That's true. We have Google Sheets for shared spreadsheets, Google Docs for shared documents. We have Abacus, which is for expense tracking. Dropbox, Google Drive. We have Dropbox. We have Google Drive. We use InVision to share prototypes. Figma. First off, Sketch. it's pretty awesome to not install servers in our office. So let's get let's, let's a round of applause for AWS yeah, or whoever true. else is hosting all these nice services. That's true. I don't have like, I don't have to double click something on my Windows desktop. Anymore. You know what else is pretty awesome, Paul? Paying for over 2,000 pieces of software a month? <laughs> no, that's not awesome. Okay, you know what's so. awesome? Is all of these pieces of software, we purchase them without ever speaking to a smarmy human being. Isn't that the dream? Now, look, the downside is there are six different versions of file sharing that we have mm -hmm. in Postlight and doc sharing, mm -hmm. but we've never spoken to anyone. I mean, for a little company, it's actually the only way we can do this. We can't go and buy big industrial strength well, Yeah, we're software. not going to get SAP for Postlight. Correct. But one of the most important tools we use at Postlight, if maybe the most important, is Slack. It is the primary communication Also tool. a little something I like to call common sense. $9 per user per month for common sense. <laughs> a little something called respect. Um, so it turns out there's this trend around how enterprise software is making its way into companies. And we're going to talk Wait, about... does this one have some letters that go with it? So the trend is called... It's not a trend. It's an actual movement, an it's, important one. It's a revolution. It's a revolution called product-led growth. Mm. And we have with us... PLG. PLG, okay. in short, product-led growth. And we have with us returning for their second podcast. We've only done this with like three people. No, I just want you to know that. So this is a very rare opportunity to be back on Postlight's uh, Track Changes. Noah Breyer. Welcome, Noah. Thank you for having me again. And we have his business partner, James Gross. Welcome, James. I'm so excited to be here. We are wealthy and co-founders today. Lots of four co-founders on one podcast. Mm. They were the co-founders of Percolate, a marketing platform company. And now they're onto a new venture, which they're going to tell us a little bit about. We're going to talk about product-led growth. What is Variance and what does it have to do with product-led growth? So the very trend you guys talked about at the beginning of this podcast, lots of companies have lots of tools at their disposal, right? And they're using them to a sort of varying degree. So uh, on average, just within a marketing organization, within an enterprise company, they have 91 apps. That's in a marketing organization. Just in the marketing okay. organization. Too many apps. It's a lot of apps. Yeah. But they exist for good reason, right? You know, you buy all these things because they solve something that is a challenge within your company. Your Facebook optimizer and your, you know, whatever. And so uh, Variance is a layer that can sit on top of any SaaS application and can help every employee within your organization 
gain mastery over it. And so, you know, the other side of buying all these apps is that eventually work starts to feel like you're just filling in boxes all the time. And we are trying to help shake that feeling and from the employee side, make it easier to do their job more effectively. And from the company side, help them take advantage of all this software they bought for hopefully good reason. They bought it because they thought it was going to have an impact on their business. And if no one's using it or no one's using it the right way, then it's not impacting them in the way that they hoped. So not necessarily replace all 91 apps, but rather orchestrate. We're trying to sit on top of, be a layer that can help everyone get more value out of. We're early days. We started the company a couple months ago. We are going to be going into alpha at the beginning of next year and then uh, launching from there. All right, great. We're looking at a product-led model where you start with individuals or small teams. They can put it on their credit card. They can try it at first. And they can get into using the product. And then it expands naturally. So you guys use Slack. Sometimes. Zoom. Uh, you might have heard of some of these companies. Datadog here in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if you look at most of the companies, most of the SaaS companies that have gone public this year, they all have that in common, right? There's very little friction in the process. You can sign up, you can try it, whether it's for free or for a trial. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to, they don't make you get on the phone. And then you can start using it and you can verify that it actually makes sense within your organization by verifying that it actually makes sense within your organization. Go back like 10, 15 years here and I need, what's something that Oracle would normally sell me? It's like the classic. Let's make it even easier. Let's make it something tangible, expense tracking. Okay, 10, 15 years ago, I need to track expenses on a computer. What do I do? You talk to your Oracle rep. They're going to pull out the portfolio. And they might get a lawyer on the phone. They might not based on what the terms are. That doesn't sound like a good afternoon. No, no, it's not. And I think if you talk to most of the buyers that bought expense software 15 years ago, they would agree with you. Is there any category that's actually worse than expense management software? Have you ever, I think it's, I want to take a shit on one of them. Can I do that on our podcast? It's It's, our podcast. It's our podcast. It's called Concur. And it is a beast. People meltdown on Twitter about that. It's a beast of a P if you're, has anyone in here ever used it? The lights go dim in your house when you use it. It just drags your whole computer down. There may be a new version. This isn't nice. What I'm saying right now, there may be a new faster, cool mobile version of it. But But when I used it, you would do anything to avoid concur in the future. Yeah. And it became very clear that this is something that came from on high. This is a deeply complex, deeply integrated system that was tied into the finances of this large company that I was involved with. And there's something very beautiful about this. I will say, because if you look at the rise of design as part of good product, you know, design started as a services group. Like I said, we need a little bit of design. Can you make the colors nicer? And then it became like, if you don't get the design right, this is actually going to be bad. And consumer tools and apps jumped on design because it's like, oh, make it engaging, attractive, appealing. But enterprise, it's like concur or tools like it just were handed to you. And this is where you're going to use. So this is quite a shift. You look at these tools and first off, they're accessible and approachable. You can't go through a 30 minute training video for a product led growth product. Is that right? Well, it's going to depend how complicated, right? People will try to learn new things. Yeah. The big thing about, as Noah was saying, when we started, one of the really nice things about starting a new company is you can kind of pick your head up and say, well, what can I do now that I couldn't do a while ago? Uh Right. So for instance, we started Percolate in 2011. One of the things I always was like so jealous of was you talk to infrastructure engineers, you talk to other people and they talk about, oh, well, man, when we started the company in 2001, you know, we didn't have AWS, we didn't have these things. And now you can pick your head up as an entrepreneur in 2019 and you can see the way 
that companies can now support you on the product side and the type of things that you can get off your product, whether it's event data, product analytics systems. And you can basically just say, okay, I can go to market entirely differently, which, you know, again, always being on the go to market side, I was always so jealous that it seemed like, you know, the infrastructure guys always had these new tools every 10 years, but go to market was always the same, which was, you know, you tried to acquire a customer through a marketing qualified lead, then you went to a sales qualified lead, and then you went to a sale, and then you went to a renewal. And now all of a sudden with new products in the market, you can really take a different approach to how you think about going to market. And that's just utterly amazing. So I want to dive into that phrase, going to market. Going to market used to be very different in a pre-product-led growth world. What was going to market? I mean, going to market was the big splash. That you're going to reveal it at the conference. And then there's this big marketing campaign, advertising, billboard. I mean, what is go to market and what is it today in this shift? I, well, so I'd say the most dangerous sentence in enterprise software was when your venture capitalist asked you how many sellers you needed to hit your quota, right? right. That was the question. Sellers. Me, so how many sellers, how many salespeople do you need to hit that budget that you just put in front of me? Mm -hmm. And literally you would have a massive budget that oftentimes the venture capitalist would give you. And they'd say, okay, you plug in the seller here, you plug in how long it takes them to ramp up, meaning how long it takes them to get to a place where they can actually sell the product because they've been educated on it. How many of them do you need? What is the rate at which they're going to turn over? And, sure. Okay, great. So then go. Th just go. It's dangerous yeah. because you're losing all your scale. You're suddenly you have this like linear th growth thing that you need to accomplish. And you're assuming the product's working, right? right you're assuming right. that like, oh, okay, well, it's like you pour water on the plant and it grows without thinking through that root structure and everything that's underneath it. And so it, it's the most dangerous word in SaaS. But that was the go-to-market model, right? The sure. assumption is- You got to go out. You've got to go out. And the assumption is product market fit is there. And then it just comes down to, again, this now very linear way of now the company. I got to imagine there are examples of really lousy products that were hugely successful from a revenue perspective that got pushed out in the world. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two sides of the product-led growth thing, right? There's one part of it, which is what James is getting at. It's about the signals that you can get out of your product and your ability to use those signals to understand how people are using your product to better qualify them as leads and opportunities. But the other side is just pretty tactical and basic, which is that the old way of buying software was that it was a big enough purchase and, you know, Never mind before SaaS, right? But it's a big enough purchase that somebody somewhere decided to buy it for the whole company. They basically said, hey, we have this need, regardless right. of the difference in the needs that always exist within a large organization, and that now you all have to use that. It descends from on it high. It descends. Yeah. And there's very little care for how it works. Well, that's um, every system where you have to fill something out at your company. You try to play, pay a electric bill online? No, no one does that. I don't know how my electric bill gets paid. It's, I, I think I set it up online so that it gets paid yeah, automatically. You yeah. probably did the same thing. Or my wife did, but you know, or your wife one did or it. the other. It is incredible. The tools, like, and this is something you're going to use. You're not going to mail in the check anymore, right? It was unbelievable. It's like you'd gone back in time yeah. 15 years. I'm talking, this is New York City. You know, inside a company, the more direct the software is to you getting paid, the more likely you are to use it regardless of how bad it is. Mm -hmm. The one that's closest to how you get paid is HR software, right? Mm -hmm. You can't get paid if you don't put in your direct deposit and whatever else. My wife had a story a couple months ago where she got an email from HR. It was an urgent email on a Friday night that said her direct deposit wasn't set up right. And they sent her a 17-page PDF of how to go back into the tool <laughs> and set it up yep. properly. Right. And so I think the other really big change here is just it's a true move to being more user-centric, which has become, unfortunately, sort of a very big buzzword around 
what we all do. But, you know, it is meaningful when you're like, I actually care about the people inside the company who are using my product, not just the people who bought it. Does every product-led growth story have to have some aspect of virality, like for it to spread around? I mean, when I think of Slack, all I think of is just, it's just was so flammable. As a tool, you didn't have to go and explain to someone why it was great. You actually didn't even want to talk about it. You just wanted to have them in the channel so you can chat. Yeah, there's a chance you may never see it again. You'll only use it that one time, but it's pretty slim. And once you experience it, you are in. Is that a requirement here? Is that like one of the traits that's necessary for a product-led growth type of product? I think it comes down to the type of product you want to buy. I think in, if we just go old to new world in this idea of product-led growth, in the old world, your scope really came down, or your, your total addressable market, or TAM, came down to usually the person you were selling to. What kind of, what did the buyer have scope over? So mm-hmm. was it a function like marketing, or was it IT where they could, you know, like Noah mentioned, the HR software, they spread it to everyone, and everyone has to use this. From a virality perspective, in the new world, it comes down to what type of product you're buying. So with Slack, it's a you know symmetrical way that you might you, you communicate, and naturally you might want to use it across your entire enterprise. But it really just comes down to like, do you want to build a product for the entire enterprise, or do you want to build a product for a specific function, specific types of teams? Mm-hmm. And then within the product, there's a lot of innovation, whether it's virality or just thinking through the types of ways that you actually have a freemium model mm-hmm. to actually allow for potentially to cast a wider net. So you can go, you know, you could go with an object-based model like Notion's a very good example where you could have as many people as you want inside that product for free until you get metered on an object level. Enough of the objects inside the database are being used that they charge you, right. but they don't care how many users you have. It's different tripwires. Um, different tripwires. But yeah, on the virality side, I guess you wouldn't have a viral product that didn't work with your product in a yeah. sense, right? But there is danger. Like Zoom is another example of a very viral. You know what the tell is? It's that page that has the three tiers on it that you wasn't there five years ago. That's it'll be sort of like free plan, basic. That, yeah, and then it's like supreme, Excelsior, yeah. and the price range is usually like oh five ninety nine a month, and then you see on the top right there, it's like. or get in touch. I think what it comes down to is this thing is still landing, right? People are talking about product-led growth in different ways. I think there's some different definitions. To me, the simplest one is it's just about removing friction, right? It's removing friction from buying a product, from using a product, even potentially from canceling a product. Certainly, some of the products, some of the best success stories are viral, right? There are companies like Slack and Zoom because that is an easier, faster way to grow when people are recruiting the other people for the product. But I mean, you know, hugely successful product-led growth company is is MailChimp, right? Right. And, you know, they've been around for a while, but what they introduced was a really, really simple way to get started sending marketing emails and now like a much more complicated product where you used to have to pay and used to have to talk to somebody, you used to have to do a demo, right? The tell, the difference is, can you sign up or do you have to do a demo? Well, in Slack too, and, and also Zoom, I mean, you live inside of them and you use them to communicate with other people. So, it's very easy to overemphasize them as the success stories because you're likely to spend hours with them. You're making a good point. I want to go back to you said, you know, there's a simple sort of entry point. Like I didn't have to climb a mountain to leverage MailChimp. If I just wanted to use that top 5% of functionality, I could, and I could get going. That approachability, I think is really important. If I decide to dive in deep and see the whole console and everything it offers, fine. But I can see value quickly versus diving into the deep end before I see any sort of value. Is that a characteristic of good thinking around? Yeah, I think so. I think they all have some frictionless 
or low friction entry point. Give you a taste. What does this mean for like a Salesforce, right? Like Salesforce, it's not Oracle. It doesn't come to your house and hit you in the face, but it's expensive. It is waiting in the yard though. You got that. And that's big. And that kind of runs a whole part of the world. And now you've got this sort of new strategy emerging that I think you guys are pretty locked into. You think this is going to kick some ass across the enterprise market. Does Salesforce have to be afraid or is it going to be able to just kind of shrug this off? I mean, Salesforce, you can give a lot of credit for, for being sort of, I mean, if you think about how Benioff started, I guess, originally breathing, he was sort of the antithesis of (laughs) Ellison and Oracle and the way they went to market. Clearly though, Salesforce was built in a different era when you still needed what is, I think, technically called product assistance in the sales process. And so now, of course, they have a very big sales org. And I I would say it runs, not to insult them or anything, but I would say it runs much more like a traditional enterprise software sales go-to-market strategy. I'm looking at it right now. They have Salesforce Essentials. Do you know what this is? I'm going to read it. With Salesforce Essentials, try the -the out-of-the-box small business CRM. Start instantly with simple setup. Sell smarter and faster with built-in intelligence. Scale as you grow. $25 a month. And it's just a form. I got to say, that's good copy, though. They're good at it. Well, what they do. I, but it's fake because I ended up in, I still ended up in Salesforce. Essentially, they were just trying to kind of use a lot of these good characteristics that you guys are describing, but I fell back into the same. What that is though, that, that is the market in many ways working. So yeah. Salesforce is competing there on the lower end with HubSpot, which is a newer company. It's actually yeah. defined as a PLG company from the PLG index from OpenView Partners, one of the first PLG companies, actually. And they go after the lower end, after the SMB. They have a freemium product, and they've built it in a way that's fairly user-friendly, and you can get up and running without any sort of you know salesperson or friction, as, as Noah mentioned earlier. And so, so that's Salesforce realizing, hey, I've got to now compete potentially at that lower end with a product that needs to have less friction in it. But it's hard to just bolt that on to your culture and to how your software is made. Yeah, I think that's a big bet, right? Fundamentally, that when you build a product knowing that no service person is going to spend 40 hours configuring it on the customer's behalf, then you build a different product. And that, I think, is a pretty fundamental part. And that's really, again, to the thing James was saying earlier, that's possible because we just now have better instrumentation, right? There's Amplitude and Pendo, and there's a whole bunch of companies in the space that are helping you understand the products and how people are using them in a way that, you know, literally those companies didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, what's critical here is that because people are going to be picking these things up and figuring out how to use them as they go. Design has to do about 100 times more work than it ever did before. Everything, the design, service instrumentation, right? How does someone get lost in a product where before it was just what we'll call customer service? Imagine if you've got to actually solve that problem mm-hmm. through the product, right? And again, that's very much a design. It's exactly where pressure should be, though, right? Like, make it usable and good, for, and this will go well for you. who happens along. And yeah. hold them accountable based on whether people are using it. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but this is as transitional of a moment going from, again, being an entrepreneur starting a company in 2011 to 2019 and the tools that you now have and the instrumentation you now have, I believe is as big as going from like literally on-prem to cloud. Mm -hmm. This transition that's now going on with software companies and the competitive edge you can have by being cloud-based versus being in that that on-prem world, that is now available to entrepreneurs starting companies in 2019. Why is it landing in enterprise now? Like what's that gap between 2004 and 2019 where suddenly this idea is everywhere? I mean, it's a good question. I think a lot of it comes down to just the natural way that, of course, we know enterprises move slower. I don't think there's any question that enterprises move slower than consumers. But then if you look at the way that traditionally the buying model was set up and the gatekeepers were set up, so of course we're coming out of a world where literally all software used to be owned by 
by IT, right, inside of a company. Mm -hmm. Slowly, we started to federate that out, allowing functions to buy it on their own. But there were still gatekeepers, right? So just like there's the famous saying, you know, no one got fired for buying IBM. It was also no one got fired for buying something that Gartner or Forrester recommended. It's here in the magic quadrant. It's here in the magic quadrant. I did my job. Yes. And so that entire model of category creation of the way analysts work, that's all predicated on sort of having gatekeepers and allowing the vendor and the analyst to define what the enterprise should buy. And then through that process, you'd have, you know, a request for proposal. And of course, there was gates up to paying for anything. And so you basically try to do all this work before you actually touch the software. Sure. And now it's just like, well, look at Gmail, like you just use it. And so now the enterprise is starting to get a hold of this. And of course, we're seeing it with the products, as you guys mentioned, Slack and Zoom and others. I don't see how the old sort of enterprise model of purchasing ever comes back. I think this is absolutely the future. You see that adoption in like the 20 to 50 person company space. Like that happened with Gmail. It was Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, we can't do it with Outlook anymore. It's driving us crazy. And then like the giant orgs don't care. They can hire out out five Outlook admins for the university or for the big org. But for the thing where there's one person kind of keeping things knit together and they have other responsibilities, if they can find that path, they don't really care about what's approved or RFP'd or whatever. They'll just get it in. I mean, I got to imagine that's where it starts, right? Doesn't PLG target the smaller businesses first? They're the ones who who will never make those purchases anyway. They need the turnkey expense tool and the turnkey CRM. Like We're not using Salesforce. We're using something much simpler just because we're smaller. Let's throw it back. You're in the process of starting up your enterprise software company, which will be a PLG-focused company. What size, like what orgs are you going after first? Do you start small? Do you start big? Where do you go? You know, you start more with a focus on who the users are. I think that's one of the things you see in a lot of these companies is Slack and Zoom. And they're recognizing that companies aren't a single monolithic entity, right? Companies are teams. Atlassian is another company that exists in the space, right? Atlassian is famous for getting gigantic without having a single salesperson on staff. Mm-hmm. And Jira, love it or hate it, it's a tool for teams. And it starts with a team and there's a team and you can be a team of five or a team of 10 and then you're a team of teams. And then, you know, there's 10,000 people using Jira. Jira is uh, amazing though, because of all of these tools, it's the one where if you were like, this was forced on us by an enterprise software buyer, I'd be like, of course. They went out and bought Trello, obviously, mm-hmm. and they're spending a lot of time thinking about sort of what is the lighter weight version of Jira and how do you get people up and running in a more easy way. And so I think that part of the idea here is that you take a more sort of user-centric, team-centric approach, right? And ultimately, you're looking at how can you grow within these organizations? You start with a team. It can be five. It can be in a company of 100 or it can be in a company of 10,000, but still a team of five. And then you can start to move out from there. This is a good point. It's a cuckoo's egg situation where you're like, you're dropping yourself in there and, you know, maybe they'll buy one license. That doesn't mean you're done. You want to spread through that organization like a cold or a virus that's or, just where, or a delicious treat. That's know? where the work starts. And I I think the bigger question on the targeting side becomes, okay, well, it's really how am I going to get those initial users and how am I going to get, you know, in the sort of language of product-led growth, ultimately what you're trying to get is a product-qualified lead. That means somebody has signed up to test out your product and they're using it in some way or another. So you know that if they're using it, they will potentially pay for it, right? You know what's tricky though? All the products that I use along these lines, they're always trying to get me to tell my friends. And the bonus is always... Kind of to me, but it just is so tacky. Like, it's just like, I'm not going to tell my friends about your database as a service in the cloud. Like, it's just never... It's more effective when it's not you telling your friends, it's you inviting four of your colleagues into some tool because you want to work together on a thing. 
One I'll, thing on the product-led growth, just in yeah. terms of how you think about go-to-market, the danger in actually attacking the enterprise first with a product-led growth model, I believe the most important metric in product-led growth is time to value, which means how long is it going to take me to get someone to use the product and find value in it? Anyone that's sold enterprise software will tell you, you can literally sell a product and the timeline that IT or the timeline that they'll put on actually getting to usage of that product can be 18 to 24 months. So you could literally sell a product in, start charging the enterprise, and they could actually not use it for a year and a half to two years. And as a startup, you're killed. Like you can't wait that long to see if your product's working. Like right, you need right. time to value and you need product usage immediately. Yeah. So naturally going at the lower end, going at smaller teams, is the way to go. Trying to sell into the enterprise where potentially they're going to put you in their IT roadmap and wait 18 months will literally kill you. Well, to Noah's point earlier, frictionless cancellation, if you're really locked into this ideology, is good. Because then it's like, if they really don't want it, they're going to tell you and you're going to go, damn, we lost that one. What could we have done differently? And if you have that instrumentation, you know why roughly, well, they weren't using it. They said they wanted to use it. They used it for a week. We can see what happened. It trailed off and now they're gone. Most of these things really don't want you to go. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think it's if, if you're truly brave and you can confidently say, I can fire my customer mm-hmm. because I know I've got data that shows that I've got other customers using it appropriately. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a power play position versus I'm going to fire my customer and actually I got to fire all my customers because this thing doesn't seem to work. That's a very dangerous place to be. That's not as much fun. That's not as much fun. And so I think that's the potential leverage you have if you're running the playbook correctly. So this was great. Awesome discussion. This is the future. The future is now. I had a question about Zoho Suite, but I chose not to ask it. And I don't want it answered, to be perfectly frank. No. I will ask one more question. One word answer. Is this the end of the gardeners and foresters? Not really. That was two, but I'll take it. James? No. Damn it. That's all right. Does variance need anything? Are you hiring? Are you, where where are you at? Do you want to talk about what you need in this world? Sure. That would be great. We are hiring engineers. Okay. So we're looking for somebody, a front-end engineer, really talented one. We're also looking for a back-end engineer where okay. everything is being built in Elixir. So if that's your style, then okay. then we're a good spot. And then uh, we're also okay. looking for someone to lead growth for us and help with all this PLG stuff. And you can find those jobs at variance.so slash jobs. Just for clarity, geographically, not necessarily New York City or anything specific or... We're uh, New York preferred remote okay. okay. This was great. I, I mean, thoroughly look, enjoyed this. This is um, not our day-to-day. Our day-to-day is people come to us not, and say, we need to build a product, and we're like, let's get a team, and then we ship it. And- I, I will say this. I could have taken this on a tangent because I think a lot of learnings here actually inform how people advocate for and evangelize and push software initiatives within their own organizations. There's a lot of good stuff to take away well, from this. Well, this is the power, the power trends, move right? inside of an org, and nobody really talks about this very much, but if you can get your peer or the group down the hall to start using a piece of software, like a custom piece or something that you've adopted in and modified. Absolutely. It is. It's one of the things when we go into a really big organization yep. and they want a whole lot of change through software, but they're not quite sure how they're going to get it. Yep. You find that one advocate and you give them what they want. They walk right down the hall and yep. show their friend. Look, and a lot of times it's really basic, like, oh my God, you can finally upload a video without wanting to kill somebody. Yeah. And we've done that and it's counterintuitive for an agency to sell less. But sometimes we tell our advocate, look, just put a little something out there and let people latch onto it and then you can go from there. So this was great. Noah, James, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, Rich. Yes. 
What if I needed to get in touch with Postlight? You should reach out at hello at postlight.com. We're a digital product studio based in New York City. We build world-class platforms and products. As good as Zoho clients. Suite? Well, let's not get crazy. Is Zoho Suite still around? Oh, God. Is Zoho Suite, it's got like a big CRM. I see. Zoho CRM. Yeah, Zoho got CRM. It. You can get in there right. and really move some cards yeah, around. Yeah, they still use like the little baby building yeah, blocks. Yeah, they do, little building blocks. That you see both. it all around. I don't know. There's probably someone who's listening who's like, I am a Zoho power user. Yeah, in that which case, is fine. Good. I'm glad they're still around. Send us some screenshots. We would really appreciate it. Yes. But reach out. Hello at postlight.com. We like to, we like to always connect. Have a great week. All right, back to work. <laughs>